It's all right. It tells us what's going on, right? So, uh, I'm going to be uh, short today. I don't mean in stature. I'm always this size. But um, uh, the, with the winds that are coming up, I tend to get asthma attacks. And you might be able to hear it in my voice. So, um, uh, sometimes just breathing is, is a task. So, speaking or preaching or teaching becomes problematic. It also means that I won't be as joyful as I was when I prepared this <laughs> because I had more energy in me at that time. So I'll just tell you where the energy is, okay? Um, there is a rhythm in both Judaism and Christianity that I think is expressed in the creation that gives us day and night and gives us uh, the sun and the moon and gives us months and gives us the year and gives us a sense of uh, time. With that comes the holy days and the life cycle rituals that we engage in as the generations pass. And so there really is a rhythm to this creation that God has placed there and to our faith that's found in both Judaism and Christianity. Uh, the Torah readings for uh, each week and the gospel readings that are in the churches, the lectionaries, also reflect this kind of um, uh, pattern and rhythm. And so in September every year, the Eastern Church starts its new readings of the lectionary. They tied it to September, trying to get as close to Rosh Hashanah as they could, the new year uh, of of. Uh, Judaism. Judaism, of course, right after uh, Sukkot, will then uh, have the rereading as the scroll is brought back uh, and the dancing with the Torah takes place in the synagogues. This week is the final reading in the Western churches, which includes the Catholic Church and uh, the Anglican Church and the Protestant churches and the Free Churches as well. And so next week we will begin a new reading, and it'll be year C, the third of the readings, uh, the final one of the three-year cycle. Uh, and for us it closes out the year uh, as well, and of course this week includes Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is an American holiday, holy day, or whatever term you want to use. It's two major themes, gratitude to God for his provision and family and community relationships really have uh, stuck in American values as well. And so religious people will observe this, but many secular people who still retain the, uh, the, those values, uh, even if they are secular, continue to uh, observe this great day. And I'm also glad it hasn't been done away with, right? Now, I see Thanksgiving as a hinge point between the fall holy days, especially Sukkot, and the beginning of Advent. So, for me, I'm always fighting with, is this the end of the year, or is this the beginning of the year, in that sense? Technically, it's at the end of the 
Christian religious year. Uh, but it so leads that Thanksgiving into the idea of Advent and Hanukkah and all of that. In fact, this next Sunday when we begin the cycle, it will also be that evening, Sunday evening, will begin Hanukkah. And that Sunday is also the first Sunday of Advent. So we really do have uh, a kickoff uh, to do in that kind of framework. So I decided it was not a good idea to do a series, The Gathering Storm, on this first day of the week of Thanksgiving, right? So I'll get back to that uh, after today. But today I wanted to um, think about this Thanksgiving, and I entitled it particularly a psalm of praise. Interesting that I was really thinking about doing it on Psalm 40. But someone else was doing that sermon, so it's a good thing that I picked 145, right? I got mostly through it and said, no, this isn't the one I want to do. So we got them both. That's great. So the good thing is this message, you won't have to turn around to a bunch of scriptures because we're going to stay in Psalm 145. So if you'll turn to Psalm 145, we'll take a look at that. Going to begin with the first three verses. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. I'd like to say that the way I think the psalmist did it. Pretty excited. But that's the enough energy as, as I have today. The psalm begins with extolling God as our God and as our King. He is both the God who created us. And He is the King who wa- rules over us. And watches out for us in that sense. And he says, I will bless your name every day and praise you forever. This is an attitude of thankfulness. Someone who knows the greatness of God and who has experienced his mercy, his hesed, his loving kindness, his favor, his grace. This God is beyond our comprehension. But he is known to us through his word and through his acts and through his son. I've tried to make it a practice every day to acknowledge God in prayer and to praise him more than try to give him instructions. As an early Christian, my prayers were mostly, God, here's my to-do list. Would you take care of it? Uh, Then I realized he has a to-do list and I'm supposed to do that, right? But praising God and thanking God and being grateful to God changes your attitude. It really does. Uh, And what happens is you begin to see things differently. You begin to see His mercies are new every morning, as the songwriter writes. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. When my eyes finally open up in the morning and it takes usually an hour or two, I actually begin to look for those verses and see them there. And I've noticed over the 
years that I've been doing this, that when I let it slide, when I get too busy to praise God, I just go back to the to-do list or maybe even don't get into an attitude of prayer. I go from a thankful heart to an entitled heart, realizing all the things that need to be done and why aren't they getting done. There really is an attitude change when you have gratitude to God for everything that He, that he gives you. The joy of the Lord ebbs when you are not thankful. Not because it's not there, but because we're not receiving it. We're not perceiving it. We're not experiencing it. Thankfulness brings joy, and joy of the Lord is our strength. You will really know that if your spiritual disciplines include praising of God more than asking God to do stuff. I do ask God for wisdom always, because I'm always in need of wisdom. But most of the other things, He knows what I need before I would even ask. So I'd rather spend time getting in an attitude of thankfulness. Verse 4 through 7 says this, One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness, and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. The knowledge of God is both revealed and transferred from generation to generation. When I first came to Cal Baptist, taught marriage and family, the class was packed, people wanting to get married, wanting to have children. Uh, And then my goal was just to make sure that they would raise those children in the admonition and nurture of the Lord. Now I'm having to convince them that marriage is a norm for us. And that children are a gift from God. What a change. Our testimony time is part of this generation telling the next generation what God is doing. And us reflecting on that and then telling others what God is doing in our midst. And what it does is it speaks and demonstrates His glory and the majesty of His kingdoms. As we tell other people because we have a good word to share with them. Not just the gospel, but that God is active in our lives. I think that the testimony time is one of the best parts of the Disciple Center. Watching you pass the faith down from generation to generation. Both the faith and the hope and the way of life is really a blessing. And when I talk to other people about it, it seems not to be a common thing in congregations. They don't pass it down generationally. They're focused on witnessing. I'm all for that. But the generations build We're going to be in the kingdom someday and our kids and our family members and our friends are going to be there with us. There's more going on here than just 
trying to get converts. Because those converts will go from generation to generation and the kingdom will be filled with the people of God. We're to think on the things that God does because again, it, it generates thankfulness. I love verse 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all. His mercies are over all His works. I think about uh, my dad this time of year, and it used to put me in quite a depression because I saw him... uh, out of the hospital on Thanksgiving as he uh, asked me, he was sitting across from me, he said, Bruce, you want to go for a walk? I said, yeah, and he got up and put his arm around an imaginary me and walked out the door. He, his mind was going from all the strokes and that. He ended up back in the hospital. The last day I saw him alive was Christmas Day. And he died on New Year's Eve. That, that'll have an effect on, uh, on this season. And for a long time, I would just really go into a, a depression in that. As we examined my father's life, we saw that there may have been a return to the faith, one that I hope existed in him, uh, that, that gives me some hope. But the contrast between the father that I experienced And my Heavenly Father, every time I hear the word, slow to anger. My my dad was born angry and just got worse. But God isn't that way. We do it again. He's not impatient with us. He's long-suffering. What a great thing. I'm thankful That God, though just, does not deal with me according to my sins, but according to his mercy. What an incredible thing. And his, what does the scripture say there? His mercies are over all his works. I'm not sure that's the best way to translate this. It sounds like his mercy is the highest thing. No. His his mercy is resting on everything. It's everywhere. It's there. The mercy of God is the breath that we take. The mercy of God is the food that we eat. The mercy of God is the rest that we get. The mercy of God is the love that we feel for one another. All of that is not coming from us. It's His long, great grace and mercy that is given to us. Verse 10 through 12 says this, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. I don't hear Christians talk about kingdom much. I think because a lot of Christians are focused on How do we fix the world? And I think we should try to do 
any repair job that we can on the world. But this world is going to pass away. But this kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His kingdom is here now among us. And we need to be focused on kingdom things. It is the kingdom that is here that we are praying for it to come in fullness when we pray Thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in our hearts, it's in our homes, it's in our congregation. But one day it will fill the whole earth when he returns. Every day I recite the Lord's Prayer and when I get to that part, I'm always reminded of God being with Israel in the wilderness. And even though they weren't faithful to Him, their shoes didn't wear out, they had food every day, He gave them their daily bread. And He does that for us. So thanksgiving reminds us that God has provided and sustained us through another year. And in this case, a year of COVID. A year where not everybody is on the mountaintop. Thank God some are. Some of us are in the valley of weeping. Either way, wherever we are, He is there and He is providing. I, verse 13, I kind of separated it by itself. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. As I think of the communion of saints, I, I think about those who have walked before us. Those who have served the Lord in other conditions than the ones we're in. And being faithful to God to the best of their ability while He remained faithful to them throughout their generations. And now He's still faithful in our generation and we reach out and struggle to be faithful to Him. And the generations that will go after us, He will remain faithful. His kingdom is forever. Almost can hear the echo. And He shall reign forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Right. That was going to be a big jump, but I don't have the energy. Right? One day I will. Verse 14. I turn my page. So let me get back to that. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. I meditated on this verse and meditated on this verse and meditated on this verse. I checked the language and tried to look at other translations because I saw two things and I was trying to figure out which one it was. And then it dawned on me. You ever have those conversations where you say, do you mean this or this? And the person says, yes. Right? They're both there. 14. This verse talks of the benefits of knowing God experientially as a result of doing His Word. He supports and sustains those who fall 
and lifts up those bowed down. Two ideas. One is that those who have fallen or are bowed down under a weight, that God will strengthen us and lift us back up. That's the God of all comfort. The other one is not falling down, but prostrating yourself before the Lord, before the King of the universe, who then bids you to come up and stand in His presence. I think both those ideas are here. The words are almost interchangeable. That if we trip, if we fall, He lifts us up. If we humble ourselves, He exalts us. What an incredible thing that verse is. That should be on somebody's wall. Verses 15 and 16. The eyes of all look to you. And you give them their food in due time. You open your hand. And satisfy the desire of every living thing. This entire creation is dependent on our God. And he provides for everyone. I'm not going to talk about the fat birds at McDonald's. But you know that story. We live in a secular culture that believes that nature and the creation is self-sustaining. Or, more arrogantly, it may not be able to self-sustain, but we can fix it. Because it operates by natural law. But the scripture tells us that God is present and active in all of his creation. He sustains it and he's working out his purpose. Being mindful of the open hand of God that supplies for us. Brings thankfulness to the heart and the mind. And quiets the spirit of God's people. And also by that knowledge, we are humbled to realize that we are dependent on Him. What do you have that He didn't give you? Everything that we have, every good gift comes from the Father. Verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in His deeds. This is another one of those characteristics of God that I love. Uh, the Lord does everything right. He does it with kindness. I know people that do things right. They're, they're hard to be around. Because they don't do it with kindness. They do it with attitude, right? They do it with getting done. There's a gentleness about God. Now, there is a place when God can deal with us. But even those, I believe, are love taps. Verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him. To all who call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He will also hear their cry and save them. 
The Lord keeps all who love Him, but the wicked He will destroy. Three things there. The Lord hears us when we call upon Him. Call upon Him. We call upon Him with help, with our needs. We call upon Him when we're confused. We call upon Him when we're lonely. The Lord is near when we call upon Him. Boy, you want the Lord near? Call upon Him. The Lord is the one who will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. Those who take Him seriously. Those who see Him as Lord. And He keeps those who love Him. Oh, that's great. The first great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your life, and all your strength. All of you. The wicked will not have the same response. The wicked, he will destroy. But he will preserve us. He'll keep us. There's stuff you throw away and stuff you keep. The Lord keeps those who love Him. Verse 21. My mouth will speak of the praise of the Lord and all flesh will bless His holy name forever and ever. I think of the end of verse 20 where He says... uh, All the wicked he will destroy. He will destroy the wicked. And what will be left? Are the redeemed. And those that remain and are redeemed. Will bless his holy name forever. I think with the psalmist each of us should declare. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. But praise only comes from the thankful. But I believe when we consider ourselves realistically, we see His glory and His character and His kingdom. We cannot help but be thankful that He's mindful of us, that He loves us, that He's called us into His kingdom. The kingdom of His Son. God so loved the world that He gave up His only Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Such a simple verse. Such a powerful verse. So we have in these verses a psalm of praise and thanksgiving. And this week as we gather with family and friends, both later today and and this week in Thanksgiving, we need to remember that all that we have is given by God. Not because we deserve it, and not through our own doing, doing. We need to humble ourselves in gratitude for His provision and praise Him that He maintains the earth and its provision for us. We should seek first His kingdom and the priority of living in holiness and righteousness according to His commandments. And then with the psalmist, we will say, I exalt you, my God and my King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Let's pray.